Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is where you are at. This is Plot Twist Please. Glad to see you here again. Please like this episode if you feel so led and subscribe. Good to see ya. Nice to know ya. Hope I get to see you again. Hi, I'm Shamaya. It's like papaya, except it's not. Today has been a day. I thought it was going to be really warm outside because I'm not one of those people who reads the internet before I leave my home. And it was a jarring experience. You know, the kind where you walk to work and you think it's going to rain, but it says like there's a 40% chance and you're like, well, it's not 50, so we's good. And you don't bring a jacket because you have that much faith in the universe because regardless of how many times the universe has turned on you, you still feel like an invincible 20 something. And so you don't bring your jacket and you wear your gym shoes, which on your way back from work end up getting sopped. Hair is drenched, your clothes are drenched on your walk home. And then you realize, wow, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the moment where I could be able to say honestly that this is the worst day of my life. And that day has come. Someone has heard your pleas. Maybe I'm speaking from personal experience. I am. And you know, it's a process. It's a process. We're all like moving and grooving and shaking and baking and changing our ways in 2020. But yeah, easily the worst day of my life. So speaking of changes, I'm sure that a lot of us are going through a lot of changes right now. Summer to fall, college to being in virtual college, from drinking almond milk to drinking oat milk. Maybe that's just me, but side note, oat milk is my new home girl. Oat milk is like the friend that I never thought that I needed until one day things just clicked and we just really hit it off. And now we're at this place. We don't know how we got here. We don't know how, but now we're two peas in a pod. That's how I feel about oat milk. And if you are over there in your humble abode, judging my non-dairy choices, I need you to take a hard look in the mirror because we can't all, can't all drink whole milk. And that's okay. And we do not deserve to be judged for our digestive capabilities. Speaking of things that you definitely needed to know about me, I have recently been thinking about self-improvement in tandem with anti-racism. I thought I'd talk about what makes it so difficult for people to make legitimate change internally and how one's individual self-reflection translate into the moving, breathing, functioning world. How the correlation between self-improvement and anti-racism actually helps propel the mark forward into creating a more equitable world. Great, so first let's talk about the individual perspective and the general attitude when one goes about general self-improvement. While the sun is going down, please be kind, be kind to me. Oh, I forgot to add, I'm not recording in my apartment right now. I know I usually am, but I'm actually at my dad's house. So that's why things might sound or feel a little different. I know we're going through a lot of changes right now. I really didn't mean to impose this new element. Oh, my dad's cat. Yeah, he's not so fond of how things are going right now either. So this is the reason why it's so hard for people to actually change. It has a lot to do with self-esteem. We generally, as humans, have an unhealthy level of self-esteem. And that's brought upon by different 
societal factors, by media, by our interactions with other people, by being bullied, by being oppressed. A lot of different factors come into play. So when you don't have a healthy level of self-esteem, you cannot take criticism. You, it's like you have this wall up that is protecting your image of yourself because that image is so fragile. So then when someone says, hey, this thing that you did harmed me, or this thing that you said was problematic, or maybe think about how you frame this next time you have this conversation, when someone, when someone criticizes them, or when someone criticizes us, generally the collective we, community, communal we. So when someone criticizes us, we, most of us, many of us don't respond well initially because it, it's a threat. Criticism is a threat. And anything that someone has to say that validates our view of ourselves, because deep down we don't have a high opinion of ourselves, typically, uh, the average person does not. So if we are aware of our shortcomings, once someone points those things out, we see it as an attack because something is hitting that wall that we've worked so hard to build up to protect our sense of self. So, so something that I find interesting is that when people try to prove that those kinds of criticisms aren't warranted, they actually end up proving the other person's point. They are actually proving that they possess those same qualities and characteristics that they have been trying to isolate themselves from in the public eye or in their interpersonal relationships. And that makes it harder for them to look inward because they're so preoccupied with trying to prove something. So then they end up falling into the trap of becoming that very thing. Some people are not ready to change. And some people are so preoccupied with proving that they're not racist or that they're not portraying toxic masculinity to the point where they actually end up glossing over the self-reflection part and they completely miss the point. So we need to stop skipping the part where we kill our ego <laughs> because that is the most important part. And it's, it's not about it's not about shame. It's not about being guilty and walking around with this burden on your back of all the harm that you've caused or all of the mistakes that you've made. It's about accountability. And a lot of people think that they can just skip over the accountability part and the remorse part and just be changed. They think, okay, I, I'm thinking in my head that what I did probably wasn't great. So I'm just gonna move on from that and do better. And yes, do better, but it has to come from somewhere, right? It doesn't just happen. You don't just become a better version of yourself without that ugly hard work. And it gets ugly. It's going to get ugly, it has to. For actual change to happen, it's gotta be uncomfortable. And it's like when you, it's like if you go on these like self-help blogs or you listen to these podcasts or read these books about self-improvement and you're like, okay, so I want to learn how to utilize your time more efficiently. And you think that you can get there by not acknowledging. Now, wouldn't it be unwise for someone to think that they could get to a place where they manage their time more efficiently without actually looking at how they have been misusing or mismanaging their time. It doesn't make much sense, does it, to, to think that you can get to a different place by not acknowledging 
where you are actually at and you need to assess how you got there it kind of reminds me of <laughs> going on dates because we's grown we go on dates um it reminds me of going on a date with a straight man because that's that's my experience and him doing all of the right things and saying all of the right things but something just feels off and it's because a lot of the time at least in my case it's because someone is displaying these traits that make it seem like they have it together but they don't actually have it together you know they they say all the right things they use all the right buzzwords but when it comes to actually doing the hard work and the self-reflective inner work it's not there and it it doesn't show up in my actual interactions with them and and that's just that's fascinating to me like how how it kind of mirrors spraying perfume on a an overflowing garbage bag not saying that we're all garbage bags i mean hey like you know what if we're garbage bags we're garbage bags in this lot called society and the only way to clean us up is to get the junk out they're making people think that we have the tools and so they get into this mix with us and they get into these conversations with us and sometimes they get into these relationships with us romantically where it appeared that we had the tools but we didn't and so then this person is like wait a minute who is this that i'm with who is this that i'm talking to it seemed like you you knew you knew the stuff it seemed like you had it like you got it but it appears that you don't it really spills over into other people's lives and in addition to that it just it, it doesn't actually help us become better people it just makes us seem like better people so now i'd like to transition into talking about what it's like to feel stuck in your self-improvement journey and this happens often i think i think it's just part of the process of the the journey and i think that we have to keep our eye on the prize meaning that there is no actual quote prize there is no point of perfection where we have made it where we have arrived because we will always have more to learn about ourselves about the world about how we are affecting other people about how we can be our most our truest healthiest selves and it's okay to pause and find your bearings and to say i don't have to be moving forward all the time it is okay to stop and take stock of your emotions and of your mental state and to use that as a launching point for when you're ready to get back out there personally again i'm not an expert this is just my personal philosophy yada 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 this is just what i found to be helpful to me because operating from a place of shame does not work shame is stagnant and anemic and actually doesn't propel us forward and doesn't motivate us to change internally the thing that motivates us is positivity so not toxic positivity right but almost this radical love this this radical empathy that is propelling us forward to wanting to create a better world for ourselves and for other people so killing your ego doesn't mean killing your self-esteem it just means maintaining a healthy balance and frankly there are a lot of people who need to drain their ego and just bleed it dry just like just just bleed it dry just you gotta just gotta do it because there are things you are doing that are hurting people and you need to acknowledge that a lot of us haven't gotten to that place yet where we are willing to not feed that monster because we have such a fragile sense of self to begin with and so that's why i think that self-care and self-love and 
social justice and advocacy for equity go hand in hand because you can't try to be a better version of yourself. You can't try to be a more empathetic member of society that's driving toward the mark of a more equitable society for everyone. You can't get to that place if you are not willing to do the self-reflection work, if you are not willing to circumvent your self-image, your fragile self-image. You just can't get there. And that's why a lot of people don't end up actually being better. They just end up showing up better on paper or seeming better to their friends. Acknowledge the pain that you caused. Acknowledge the harm you may have inflicted on others. Acknowledge those toxic traits because we all have them. We all have toxic traits. We like to believe that the only toxic people are the people who are toxic toward us, but we are also toxic at times. Even if you're someone who is empathetic to the point of needing other people to need you in order to feel validated, that is a toxic trait. There, there is toxic masculinity, but there's also toxic femininity. And I'm not talking about in reference to men versus women, because I do think that we have a weird, <laughs> generally strange understanding of femininity and masculinity in general. But I'm referring to femininity and feminine traits that are well conventionally feminine traits right what we understand to be feminine traits in the society that we're in i'm talking about those traits versus the traits that are conventionally um, depicted as masculine so if you have too much masculinity i i firmly believe that there needs to be balance in people of masculine traits and feminine traits um if you have too much masculinity then you end up seeking power and you end up being enraged when you feel you have been not given what you deserve you end up being a taker instead of a giver and when you have mostly feminine traits and you are not balanced in those feminine traits you end up being giving too much of yourself when it is not warranted or deserved attaching yourself to things and to people who will not give you what you need you end up being off balance and that's not that is not a healthy environment for you to become your fullest self, apply your own needs. It doesn't provide a space for that. When I'm talking about toxic traits, I'm talking about all of them. Of course, toxic masculinity has more power in the society that we're in because all of the masculine traits, ooh girl, I need to do I need to do an episode on this. But all of the masculine traits are the traits that are valued in society and all the feminine traits are the ones that are devalued in society. So the masculine traits, tend to win. The people who possess the most masculine traits in the most masculine package, those are the people who end up dominating in terms of capital, in terms of societal gain, in terms of social standing, they end up dominating. And so yes, yes, even though there's toxicity everywhere, we value certain kinds of toxicity <laughs> over others, which is so wild to think about. Like, wow, like there's a certain, a certain kind of toxicity that we like that is that is praised in society and you see it you see it in corporate america you see it when we are looking at politicians and are trying to evaluate who is fit for certain offices we we see it in relationships we see it we see internalized misogyny in men and women and just across the board whatever gender like we we see it everywhere women say i don't want a man who is not manly we see it 
when a man is like, I don't want a masculine woman. We we see it there. It's everywhere. <laughs> um, but that's a whole other episode that we're going to do because there's just so much to talk about. But anywho, I'm talking out of my throat again. So sorry to all my voice teachers ever. So another thing that I want to address is the idea of fixing all of those things of analyzing your own internalized racism, misogyny, etc. And the idea of wanting to kind of keep that self-work private. And here's the thing. A lot of us want to seem like we have it all together on the outside. We want to be on our podium. We want to be on our platform and and look like we get it. That's not going to work. Because when someone calls you out on something, or rather calls you in, I think is, is the phrase that we're using now. Um, I don't know where all these phrases be changing, like... They be changing like, they be changing like this coronavirus, which is a lot. And it's like, we're afraid of being seen. We're afraid that someone could actually see us as we are. Why? We all have things to unlearn constantly, constantly. There's so much that we grew up with that is not actually useful for us. It's really okay to let people see you trying. It's really okay to say, you know what? I don't have all of this information. I do need to do more research. Thank you for calling me out on that. I'm going to go learn more about this. We really need to start being grateful for criticism and for being wrong because it means we have more to learn. And it means that now we know what we need to learn. Now we're no longer without a roadmap. Now we know what that thing is that we need to address. And we're not just out here oblivious. I... I really think we need to start valuing criticism rather than being afraid of it. And here's the other thing too. I feel like if we aren't embarrassed at some point, either with our own actions or somebody calling us out, if we don't get embarrassed at some point, then we're probably not actually making any kind of fundamental change internally. Like we're probably not actually making that much progress if we haven't done something wrong because that means we're not trying. And I know this sounds very cliche, like la-di-da-di-da, picked it off a Pinterest board, but the Pinterest board was right. When Pinterest was right, you gotta give her her props. I like to use the fishbowl analogy. It's something that is used in child development and social policy, the intersection of those two concepts, points of research. The fishbowl analogy basically basically shows that if you're looking at a fishbowl, all you really see is the fish. You don't really notice the water around it because it's clear. Pretend, let's just pretend that we are, you know, let's just go to our preschool brains for a minute. Just pretend, just pretend that you don't know there's water in the fishbowl. I know you know that there's water, but just pretend. So you don't really see the water. You only see the fish. But take that water away, that fish will notice. And that's what it's like being in a society where you have grown up in certain structures and with certain ideals. You don't even notice that you're in it. You don't notice that there's water all around you until that habitat is disrupted, until something challenges the existence of that cultural thing, toxic culture or culture that is actually inhibiting individuals from succeeding and from being their healthiest, fullest selves. And that's what we're in. We are in a culture that is killing us, quite frankly. Some of us didn't recognize what it was until it was disrupted, until someone poked at it and said, "Mm, something right here. And that's okay to not know beforehand, but once you know better, you do better. And now that you know better, because I'm sure you've been listening and reading and watching and, you know, reading your think pieces and scrolling through Facebook, 
Unless, you know, the algorithm does its thing because the algorithm is ruining everything. It is your responsibility to do what you need to do, right? Right. Generally, we're so used to associating shame with accountability. And I really don't think that that has to, those two have to coexist. I really don't think that accountability requires shame or guilt. It's so, it's so interesting because we're, we're such a, and I don't like to use the term cancel culture because I think it, the actual meaning can be misconstrued and used as a weapon. But it's interesting because I feel like we're so used to accountability showing up as shaming people publicly. And though sometimes that works, Sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes people literally need to get knocked off of their pedestal with a wrecking ball. Some people need that, um, particularly people with certain levels of power, large amounts of power. I don't think that that's necessary for change to actually happen internally. But if you're someone who has that built up ego and that built up wall, you know, you might just need a little nudge, a little financial nudge. So I like to use the word remorse because I think that remorse is a different connotation than shame and remorse doesn't feel as debilitating. So remorse for me, the way that I define it, I mean, this is a definition. Again, this is just me just speaking my brain thoughts. Like, what do you care? What do I know? We've established that I don't know anything. But the way that I view remorse is knowing what specific actions caused the harm empathizing with the person who has been harmed or people and then trying to understand what brought you to the point of causing that harm so that is to me what remorse entails like remorse is more activated right it requires more of doing than being there's no such thing as being an anti-racist it is not a noun but rather a verb it is something that you do it is not something that you are because we have not ever, ever gotten to a place where we stop working. In conclusion, I know this was kind of, I hope this was useful, y'all. I was kind of just talking about things I've been reading. I'll leave the links to things that I've been eating with my eyeballs in the description. <laughs> How are you still here? Thank you, I'm sorry, one of those is warranted. Anyway, thanks for listening slash watching. I hope that you found something useful. I hope that you learned something. I hope that you saw yourself. But in this black mirror, stay quirky, stay curious, and stay self-reflective. Don't forget to like this episode and subscribe. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye.